You are listening to News of the World. The fine program telling you the absolute and indisputable truth about the world, the universe and absolutely everything else. In color. I'm your host, Tim Pritzker. <laughs> and even more so, the king of investigation, Mark Fonseca Rendero. Hi, Mark. Um, hello. <laughs> <laughs> What? Hello, hello, voice. Hello, Tim. Voice. Hello. That was impressive. I don't know everybody understood what just happened. First of all, I was surprised. Yes. But hi, everyone. Welcome to News of the World. I don't even need to welcome you because you were just welcomed in the most proper way. Yeah, I did. Yes, you did. Surprise, surprise. <laughs> I wonder how much more you're going to pre-record. I I, I I I caught you off guard. Sorry. That was very good. That was <laughs> well, hello. Yes. Uh, uh, greetings from Portugal. Yeah, sound quality is bad. You are back in Portugal. <laughs> That's how you know. Yeah. If, if everything is really echoey, <laughs> yes, and you can hear my computer fan, you know I'm in Portugal. Yeah, and it's hot. And it's hot out there. September is still summer. Yeah, not so much in uh, Berlin, but it's getting better. Yes, yes. But uh, I'm here. I'm here on family business. We've got uh, elderly who need help, so I'm I'm here. And uh, the world needs our help because there's lots of news to be talked about and pointed to with with uh, general care. And that's what we're here to do. And of course, I think this week we have to start with Syria. Yes, I think uh, we have. Although there's not really so much news in. S Well, if you count parliament debates as news, then there is news. What was very surprising to the world and especially to Mr. Cameron was that the British parliament turned down his uh, request for military action in Syria. Uh, yeah. that's, that's really news because it's probably the first time that the British are not following the US blindly in their war endeavors. And uh, even Obama has turned to Congress now seeking... Uh, support from the Republican Party and his own party too yeah. to uh, get, I don't know what the, what he's actually looking for if it's sort of yeah. just double checking that everybody is behind and not, you know Well, uh, part of this is the legacy of the Iraq war especially in the UK where people were oh yeah. more outraged I would say than in the US uh, for, for joining in that, that campaign and that, that war Uh, so this is a bit the legacy of that. Um, there's actually ways that the UK could take action without asking Parliament. But, uh, you know, Cameron is not going to do that. You don't want to be compared to uh, to Blair and, and you don't want to be compared with that era. So, yeah, you bring it to Parliament. And, I mean, I'm not that surprised and I don't, I'm not a, a key, such a smart, you know, I didn't. Uh, anybody could have seen this coming because you have such a, and you're seeing it now in the U.S. as well, it's such a confusing situation. Not, You know what? Let's not even say it's because it's a confusing situation. There is a lack of will right now of anyone to get involved in what looks like a war. And there's a lot of doubt, uh, which again, I don't think is very misplaced, that um, military action can do the right thing. In, order, in other words, bombing, if bombing is the main means, uh, a country into being peaceful or into stopping a war, a lot of people are saying, you know, this is not necessarily 
good. I mean, people will die if we do this. And so yeah. there's got to be a better way. But what that also means is while you're saying there's got to be a better way, you do nothing. Or yeah, that's the, that's the uh, fucking for virginity argument. <laughs> yeah, well... <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so what happens right now is, and it's really sucking up or, or, or taking up a lot of space on the world headlines, uh, even though it's, it's mostly U.S. Uh, news right now, is there's this huge debate, not just in uh, U.S. government, that's probably the most important place, but also among you know, U.S. people who are just saying, well, we don't want to. Yeah, we don't like chemical weapons, but we don't want to go to war. And we don't think this is the right way. So, yeah, it's also why should be, we die for for their sins? Uh, sure. You know. Yeah, a lot of that kind of talk. Um, we don't have the money. You know, you can make a long list of reasons why people right now are against them. And some of these reasons are very well founded, and some of these reasons are just emotional reactions, maybe based on the Iraq thing, maybe based on Afghanistan. So uh, it's a really horrible time. Uh, to try and propose getting involved in another country's conflict. And, you know, then comes how do you get involved? And that's also very unpopular right now, the idea of taking military action. So there's going to be, uh, I don't know when the vote will happen, but there's supposed to be a vote where, uh, because Obama wants a congressional permission to, to um, you know, have, use force. And... He yeah. does actually have leadership support, which is interesting to me. I thought a lot of Republican leaders would jump on this and say, no way, uh, because the way Obama's being painted in a lot of internet discussions and some news is as a sort of cowboy who wants his war and, uh, you know, yeah, but, we don't you like know, this. But the Republicans really have the the subscription on the cowboy role and I <laughs> yeah. don't think they want to have that taken away by you know a black democratic president so I'm not too surprised to see the republican leaders at least the leaders you know to, to step up and yeah. say like yeah, when it comes to war US is united you know and we're yeah. not uh, leaving the flag here so I guess a lot of things have to do with that and it's not really directly to late, related to believing this is the right thing or not. I think at that point uh, in the discussion it's more about how the US sees itself totally uh, regardless of the outcome. Yeah, I, I see a lot of the status updates and, and tweets where people are just saying like why why should the US get involved or why what business do they and, you know the, the thing that I can't help but Uh, think about here is is if you say chemical weapons is the absolute worst thing or or second worst thing to nuclear um, and if a country uses them then we collectively we the rest of the world that agrees this is the worst thing we have to do something all right we can talk about what it is we're going to have to do but still you have to do something so you know the u.s takes a a sort of front seat on this kind of Uh, policy, like you have to do something. All right, well, if someone has to do something, we're going to be a big part of it. Um, but I don't, I don't see a lot of support for this idea anymore anyway, uh, oddly enough. But it's interesting to see that the pressure is also rising for Russia. Um, yeah. Because Putin now is sort of, you know, pretty alone. Everybody is sort of condemning what happened. You know, it's... It seems to yeah. be pretty obvious that chemical weapons have been used and I think nobody really has any bigger doubts uh, that the only party actually capable of um, you know, do doing these kinds of attacks is the Assad regime. 
I mean, yeah. not that I know anything, but you know, that's yeah. the general impression that's been reflected by more than just the U U.S. government, including okay. Saudi Arabia and so on. Um, so Putin is sort of now uh, stepping back and saying, like, uh, if they used it, you know, we would support a UN resolution, which is this is news, you know, that they've come to a point where they would actually support a UN resolution against Syria. The only thing they say is, yeah, we, but we don't see any proof yet, you know. And, and yeah. their, their only argument somehow is something along, like, yeah, because it wouldn't make sense for them to do it because then right. the US would strike, you know. Right. Um, right. Yeah, okay, Putin, you had better days. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, do, we, do we have that? that um, we probably had that in the comments on our, on our website. Uh, someone saying, you know, he couldn't have done it because it doesn't make sense. It would be like shooting himself in the foot. And uh, this yeah, is but, one of the big arguments. Yeah, yeah but I, I think at least they, 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 they think they can get along with uh, a lot of things. And they have probably already used chemical weapons more than one time on a lower scale. And. Uh, I, I guess Syria was always in the business of, you know, uh, looking strong and uh, being a threat to uh, Israel. And it's interesting that in this whole debate, nobody is mentioning Israel at all. You can, I mean, chemical weapons and Israel, Syria just being a few kilometers uh, away, that's a hot topic. I mean, what if the U.S. is attacking Syria and then Syria is attacking Israel? Oh, I I see it as a I mean not that it's a it's a fairly crazy regime but I would see it as overstretching what is already a struggling Syrian military. Uh, but yes, yes, you can put that what if Plus, forward. Yeah, it's 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 a what if what what happens? I mean, then we're really in the in the next big war mode because Israel is just going to go berserk. They're going to strike back with everything they have, maybe. Maybe somebody's holding them back. I don't know, but I think that's no. that's another red line. Uh, that's not so much. <laughs> Did you uh, say red line? About. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I want to be a big politician. I have to say <laughs> red line at least once a year. Somehow. Tim's red line. We're starting that section on News of the World. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we All will see. Places. I think the decision in U.S. Congress is somehow around the ninth of uh, September oh. uh, next Monday. So uh, I think next week. We'll have more yeah. facts to talk about here. And, and I think in the U.S., what you're going to see, because um, they're still they still have power and there's still a, a way of thinking that's very popular. You'll see the sort of Tea Party supporters or the people who are sick of government, and they're going to jump on this uh, as a way to say, "Go away, government!" You know, they're going to say no, and they're and the people they've elected, because they do have people now in Congress, they're going to say no. And even though Republican leadership might say we support this Syrian effort. I think a lot of Republicans, a lot of Democrats are going to say absolutely not. And uh, you'll, I, I think that Obama is going to lose on this, uh, this whole idea. And it might come as a surprise to the sort of leadership. Um, it's, uh, and even if they do win, it's an extremely unpopular uh, idea uh, to get involved uh, in the United States. Does it matter? Uh, well, I'm, I'm sure it has some long-term effect. Um, but uh, yes, we, we will see what happens with this debate. That's just a brief update for this week. I wanted to do something on food because I've noticed a lot of stories this week on or related to uh, food growing, food eating, and 
The summer is coming to an end. Over in Zimbabwe, the report came from, actually from the UN, because I, I like to read the UN uh, News Center regularly. And uh, they're saying this winter, come the end of the year, two million Zimbabweans are going to need food aid. Zimbabweans. Uh, they're calling it the worst food crisis since 2009. And back then, half of the population of Zimbabwe needed food assistance. And this is all going back to some old factors who are, that are still present, um, including, you know, you have this inflation and agricultural supplies, including seeds uh, and, and fertilizers are uh, extremely expensive. Um, the harvest has been bad. That's another issue. So uh, here we have, again, this sort of cycle where Zimbabwe, which used to be able to feed itself uh, some 15, 20 years ago, is struggling uh, to feed its own population. The UN is involved, and even the government this time, instead of pretending like nothing is wrong or something like that, they're actually getting involved and they're putting forward money, at least, to the food relief effort that's being coordinated by, I believe, the World Food Program. Uh, so it's going to be a bad, another bad winter in Zimbabwe, and it's hard to tell if, if anything is going to change uh, in the near future for them. Um, some will blame the government, uh, but it's it seems like a lot more than that going on uh, in the country when it comes to farming. Yeah, I mean, it's not that Zimbabwe has a long history of of droughts or uh, uh, you know other food catastrophes. It's in general a very fertile country, and you have lots of farming, and it's more or less the out outcome of this long uh, Mugabe regime. You know, who has just been reelected. Um. <laughs> And yeah, you can wow. highly doubt the outcome of that uh, election. But I, I think a large part of this is just a self-made problem. Sure. Uh, I'm not going to blame nature, but it's true that also, you know, 20 years ago, if I'm going to say 20, let's see. Yeah. Uh, when it could feed itself, uh, those farms were run by uh, a handful of, you know, white farmers who, who controlled land and, and part of the decolonization of, of what is now Zimbabwe and the rise of Mugabe, but not only Mugabe, but also people who, who were part of his movement was the idea that everyone would have a chance or, or, you know, the poor would have a chance to own land. And that whole process has always been very badly run, never really happened the way I think a lot of people had hoped. And so, you know, yeah, the country used to be able to feed itself, but there was a a social problem there within how it used to do it. And now what we have is, is maybe both social problems and food problems. Um, some farms have been redistributed, but I have no idea how well or, or not well they're being run and, and what problems they face. So, you know, it's, it's, um, I didn't want to leave it at that note, like, oh, Zimbabwe used to be able to feed itself. Now it can't. Of course, it's much more complicated than that, but it is significant you know it does tell you well then the country should be able to go back to feeding itself and it still I mean, has not the the, the old that. farmers who were running the big farms they were pushed out by the Bugabe uh, regime and most of them are now uh, have more or less moved to um i guess both to mozambique yeah and uh, maybe in parts also to uh, botswana and south africa i'm not so uh, sure about this I, i just know that mozambique has been a very popular destination for them actually causing a, a, a rise in, in life quality in these areas because they have a lot of uh, experience and and knew how to run these operations and this information was sort of 
probably not completely lost, but at least but it's not that uh, the uh, whoever uh, overtook these farms were just continuing as it used to be. So right. Yeah, it's still and, a big and, mess. And they were given to a lot of cronies. I mean, it wasn't it wasn't a real land redistribution. If 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 someone wanted that, yeah, um, yeah. So uh, that that's going to be an issue that's going to come back. And uh, I don't know. You know, could this be? Uh, no, I, I don't see any change happening when it comes to uh, food and, and Zimbabwe. And actually, on the subject of food shortages, while I was reading this article, I stumbled upon. Uh, a food shortage over in Venezuela, in fact. And, you know, ever since, I find ever since uh, Chavez died, I don't, uh, and that's my own, you know, perhaps deficiencies in news searching, but I don't get as much uh, information from Venezuela lately. I think the world has sort of turned its attention somewhere else. Uh, not as exciting anymore without a one-person show. It's, uh, I can't even remember the name of the president, to be honest. Um, and over in Venezuela, inflation is very high, and uh, they're, they're talking food shortages, although the government uh, tries to you know, silence this kind of discussion and saying it's, it's, it's all going to be fine. Um, and uh, it's, it's, I haven't really been able to understand, besides inflation, uh, why the food shortages, because again, we're talking about a country that could feed itself and has fed itself in the past. I mean, it specializes in helping other countries, but usually that's in the form of oil and uh, oil donations. I know in, the, in New York City, the government of Venezuela used to help uh, the poorest people uh, with, uh, with oil, cheap oil uh, for, for heating. And they do the same thing for Cuba and this sort of thing. But when it comes to food, there is a crisis going on in Venezuela that I'm only now starting to hear about. Um, and, uh, and this is strange and sad. Uh, they're not asking for food aid from the UN yet, uh, and I don't think they will because the government's very proud, and it does have a lot of money uh, which it could put towards this problem. Uh, but it's hard for me to tell what it is the government is or isn't doing uh, when it comes to, to food. Uh, I know there's a lot of controls uh, not just when it comes to currency and the economy, but I think also in terms of you know food and, and allocation of food. So I don't know if this is a government mismanagement, but it sounds a bit like it. Yeah, I think it's it's uh, a lot of it is is related to that. Yeah, and uh, and and just going right down the line with this because all these stories seems to tie into each other and. Uh, I mean, we are going through a global crisis, and, and certainly agriculture and food are, are always uh, one of the principal areas of, of struggle. In Colombia, uh, there have been, and this is the first time we report on it uh, here on News of the World, but since August 19th, uh, there has been a, uh, well, they're calling it peasant strike. Uh, it's, in, it's people from the agricultural sector in Colombia that have been out on strike. Uh, they made a list of demands uh, regarding access to land regarding uh, the economy and how they're treated uh, by the government. And uh, basically the government has not really responded except to give uh, the police power to use force against them. And that's one of the reasons they've met headlines as the police have come down quite hard on them, uh, which also gets sympathy from, from a lot of uh, people in the region, a lot of groups in the region, governments, and it's ongoing. Uh, even now, the, the strike continues. They had, among their demands, I saw two main ones, which are pretty, pretty simple, uh, although 
again, government not willing to do this, and, and it would probably be something big for them. We demand the implementation of measures and actions against the crisis of agricultural production. Again, we get into the costs of, of production, just like in Zimbabwe. And the second demand was we demand access to land ownership. Uh, again, kind of familiar themes. You know, people who want to own land and want to be able to afford to raise uh, crops and, and act as farmers. Um, yeah, this I, is, I was following that that strike, and you can follow it pretty well through Global Voices Online. Actually, this this is one of the areas where Global Voices Online excels because uh, they follow a lot of blogs, and a lot of them are, are small scale, but covering things like farming, agriculture, strikes, and because they do the whole translation thing, where they'll they'll take some stuff that's in Spanish and they'll give you the headlines in English. So um, that's that's sort of my place for watching this strike. Mm-hmm. This is all also in the uh, shadows of um, the continuation of the peace talks between the uh, Colombian government and the FARC. I think they are now about to start or have already started the second round in uh, in Cuba, which is still oh, going yes. on uh, in secret as it used to be before as well. So no real news on any progress here, but this situation is probably not helping. No, uh, but at least they're still talking. I mean, we, we probably started this topic a year ago. Would you agree? I think yes. at least. So uh, at least they haven't walked away. Um, maybe that's a good sign. Yes. Uh, let's head over to Japan and get away from the topic of food and on to the topic of Fukushima. Uh, the plan, uh, which has been widely reported this week in international headlines, The, they've come up with a plan to take care of radioactive water uh, because to this point, they're just filling containers, large containers uh, with this radioactive water that has to go somewhere. Now they say they're going to build a wall of ice, which sounds very fantastically cool and futuristic if you're into containing radioactive water in the future. And the plan is to call, build a $320 million dollar Uh, wall, and it's supposed to hold this water uh, and eventually make it spill out into the ocean. By the way, it's so, I guess because the ocean is so big, but it's amazing how easily, you know, a government or just goes, well, uh, just put the radioactive water in the ocean, you know, if it's safer there. And I guess <laughs> technically it is, but it sounds really weird. Uh, but that's that's what they're going to do. Um, it's not the first time that these this type of wall is built. I didn't know this, but Ice walls have been used in places like the U.S. Uh, to secure mine shafts and contain contamination. Yeah. So uh, it's it's not the first time that this has ever been done. It can be done, and they're going to to do it. Um, a 1.4 kilometer wall made by sinking pipes carrying freezing fluids into the ground. Whew. It'll be a barrier of permafrost. I quote: "30 meters deep." Down into the bedrock. This really sounds amazing. Yeah, the 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 sad part. I mean, this is purely sad news. But what makes it even more sad is the fact that this event, this uh, catastrophe in the Fukushima nuclear reactor, is now more than two years ago. Two years yeah. where it seems as if nothing has happened at all. They are still measuring. I mean, recently. 
they were, I mean, you could say they were measuring high radioactive activity in one of the tanks. Actually, the problem was that the devices they had to measure, you know, were beyond their scale. So they weren't even able to, to measure it. It was something in the range of if you expose humans to that kind of radiation that was leaking, uh, they would die after four hours the latest. So we're really talking about a big, big, big problems uh, here. It's not only one uh, reactor, it's many. Uh, each of them has its own share of problems. And the only way to cool it down was or is still pumping water in it and of course if you pump water in it you have to somehow you know put it somewhere and there is no way and that's something we have to make clear here i think once more the problem with radioactivity is you can't get rid of it you know it gets <laughs> rid of itself but it takes a very long time we're damn you can about, put it in the ocean yeah <laughs> sure yes yes that's a very cool idea you know why should only japan you know take uh, a bite out of this uh, uh, I think it's, a, it's especially disastrous given the fact that, that Japan traditionally is a country that's living from the ocean, you know, mm. uh, fish, uh, seafood in general is uh, a very important part, not only of the nutrition, but also of the culture of that nation. Um, they have opened the beach, the Fukushima beach, not that far away, you know, again, uh, it still looks as if Japan is in a state of total denial. They are still not accepting what happened. They are not willing to take the consequences. The only thing that has changed now is sort of that the government is losing um, their trust. I mean, I'm, I'm surprised there's still something uh, left, you know. Uh, the, the trust in, in TEPCO, the, the, the company yeah. who caused all this, um, to, to control the situation. And uh, from what I understood is they are taking complete control now of how the future activities to fight this uh, catastrophe are going to be handled. So, yeah, uh, alongside this, um, it's interesting news that the last two nuclear uh, power plants that were still in operation, there were two of around 30, I think, in total, who were still operating. There was some time where they were all switched off. Two of them have been um, put into place again. They are now out mm. of operation again, mm. but based on a, you know, um, a, a schedule to you know, because they have to repair things and you know take care of of the uh, technology. It's not sure if they are going to come back alive. But for a very long time now, for two years now, Japan, the country, hasn't really been living off nuclear energy at all right. you know right um i'm not so sure what their mix is i'm pretty sure they're going to buy a lot of energy from uh, korea and uh, other sources but again and again a lot i think and, and, and again and again you can see that there is a way to you know live without nuclear energy right. if you just want to but right. the japanese country the the society the government the politicians who whatever class is in uh in control here hasn't really made the switch to say okay we're going to turn our back on this disaster and just do what's best for the future yeah the the this ice wall uh, besides the money that it costs it actually will use enough power to run 
3,300 Japanese households. So this is a power suck. And yeah, yeah, they're going to have to turn on more power plants in order to power the ice wall. I mean, it's really... Uh, yeah. yeah, but that's, that's the, the problem. I mean, I think they have to do everything that's possible to prevent uh, radioactivity from leaking into the ocean because it's not going to go away. It's going to be in the food chain. It's not going to, not only going to be in the food chain of uh, the Japanese uh, sea, but basically yeah. everywhere. I would like to know more about this. I mean, we're we're saying generally because I think it makes sense. Uh, radioactive water being dumped into the ocean, bad thing, bad thing. But there seems to be something going on, at least in the nuclear power world when there's an emergency, and a two-year-long emergency at this point, uh, that it says, well, it's bad, but I guess it's not that bad. I, I, don't, I would like to know more about this, like what their logic is, because I'm sure they have some kind of explanation where, well, it's not that bad. The levels later in the ocean will not be very high. I, I don't know what the strategy is, or maybe I'm, I'm misestimating how... Uh, how not dangerous this can be because it seems like they're saying well no we want to get it in the ocean and that's going to be good because it's better than being on land <laughs> somehow mm. i'm not sure uh let's stay on the topic of energy but move somewhere closer to home and uh i'm talking about germany now this one i i sort of need to read everything twice and three times to understand what's going on now we all i think many of us know especially if you're in germany that there's been a push for renewable energy, and that includes solar and wind. And um, to some extent, I think Germany has made huge strides in this, uh, in this whole quest. I, I read, for example, that um, this is all coming from uh, the uh, Clean Technica, instead of Ars Technica, cleantechnica.com. And they're talking about how Germany's solar capacity as of this summer, well, first of all, I heard they set another record of uh, how much solar power they, they generated. Nice. Uh, but also that it's um, the solar capacity is now something like 34,000 plus megawatts. And interestingly, in the United States, it's actually lower. Uh, it's, it's actually much lower, less than half of that. And uh, that was just one example of you know, how far Germany's come or how not far the United States has come. But what I read this week was that uh, in the middle of everything that's been going on with uh, expanding renewable energy in Germany, on a wholesale level, yeah, here we go, I have to read this two, two and three times, um, the price of electricity has, has actually gone down as a result of, of this push for, for renewables. The only reason nobody may agree with this or, or nobody will feel it is because of all the surcharges that are attached to paying for your renewable energy and investing in future renewable energy. Uh, it, it was a really difficult to follow explanation. And actually, it started with an article in, in Der Spiegel that was in German uh, that I didn't fully read, uh, but I did read the, the Clean Technica explanation of it, uh, in which the author points to the fact that if you look at it, uh, the price of electricity has gone down, and it's because of renewables. Yes. Um, that's true, but still uh, part of an ongoing political struggle, especially in these uh, times of, uh, you know, the upcoming um, national elections here in Germany in three weeks. Yes. Um, yeah. It's uh, so it's an open uh, open discussion. It's uh, totally clear that the renewable 
energies in Germany have been far more successful than anybody would have predicted, including the supporters. Um, and this is all the result of probably one of the most successful laws ever. And I'm not talking about German laws. I'm talking about a law that was brought up and copied by the rest of the world. There are so many. I don't really have a list now, but many, many. Which which country ever is looking for how to deal with renewable energies? They're looking to the German Renewable Energy Act, which What was yeah. Uh, yeah, which is was 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 um, done by the red green. Uh, government, Schröder, uh, Fischer, so the Green Party and the Social Democrats, when they came into power, one of the first things they did was, you know, uh, shut down nuclear energy. It was reopened later by the conservatives, but after Fukushima, this was uh, history again. Um, but the uh, Renewable Energy Act was basically saying, like, we are putting a lot of money into this. You know, it's our focus. We are not going to focus on nuclear energy at all uh, anymore. And... Uh, When you are producing renewable energy, is it wind, solar, whatever, you know? There's so many more um, variants of renewable uh, energy. And if you are producing that power, you know, there's a guarantee that you get paid for it. So if you produce it, it's going to be put into the system in the network and you get uh, a fixed or a guaranteed price for it. And that made it so attractive to come up with so many installations not that every german is going totally nuts because they can now create uh, um, renewable energy it's just you know you have a guaranteed win on this and that's why everybody was putting so much um, efforts into it and that's why it's so super successful uh, and now this this guarantee is the problem so while the high availability of that uh, energy has actually turned the prices down. There is still this guarantee that you have to pay so much. So what's under discussion right now is how to deal with this uh, guarantee in the future because this is sort of um, rising the prices while the pure availability of all that energy is driving the prices down. And it really depends on which side of the coin you want to look at. You know, it's a more a political problem in this uh, debate. But, you know, it's totally undoubted that, uh, undisputed that, that uh, Germany is very successful re with uh, renewable energies. And uh, a lot of things depend on, you know, next government somehow, how this will turn out in the long run. Hmm. Solar um, companies have already suffered from a lack of support of the German government, the conservative government, um, uh, have a lot of problems with the ongoing price battle with Chinese companies producing solar um, yeah. systems much cheaper. So that's uh, another problem. We'll have to see. Um, I haven't read the study you mentioned. But yeah, it was, uh, it was referred to as a study that was actually for the Green Party. Mm -hmm. And it was done by, uh, what are they called? Oh, I lost it. Oh, anyway, something brain pool. Hmm. Oh, I lost it. Well, anyway, you, there'll, there'll be a link. And uh, actually, the, the article in Der Spiegel might be also worth a reading. I, I can read some German. I tried to read it, but because of the way we're using numbers and costs and, and percentages, I, I did get lost. Uh, anyway. 
keep an eye out for it. We'll put we'll put links and you can read it. And I guess in in a matter of weeks we're going to hear a lot of. Uh, Debate and discussion on on this issue, as you've no doubt already been hearing in Germany. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wanted to bring something else since we're into quality of life between food and power, and uh, and food and power. The uh, I was reading in Nature uh, Nature dot com, one of our former. It's not a former; it's a news source. <laughs> it still is, uh, and uh, I found this article on. Um, life in in Costa Rica, or at least where people in the world. Uh, lived the longest lives, and I thought it was kind of interesting that uh, Costa Rica actually comes out as a place where people live some of the longest lives in the world. Uh, in other words, in Costa Rica, at the age of 60, even at the age of 60, um, the life expectancy is still uh, 22 years, so uh, 82 is, is what you're expected to live. And that's higher than in Europe or the United States, slightly higher anyway. And uh, they went into a specific region. Um, uh, people that, that live in this region are called Nikoyans, or Nikoya is the region. And uh, there was this whole looking into why people live longer or, or uh, whether it's genetic or is there something else. And interestingly, um, one of the things they point to is uh, social and family uh, ties, the ones that have strong social and family ties, and in this particular region, people do, uh, more so than in the rest of Costa Rica. And they point to that as one of the reasons that people survive as long as they do. And then, of course, there is uh, your genes, your biology, which they happen to have a, a more long-life uh, uh, biology going on mm-hmm. there. And I just thought it was a kind of an interesting article, worth reading, not so much to hear my explanation now, but to read for yourself, um, because I think it's very interesting. I guess one of the reasons I bring this is I'm here dealing with, with the elderly and, and uh, that survive can survive quite long in Portugal, and, and why why is it that this happens? And the article links poverty, to some extent, with long life, which you don't often hear either. No. Uh, but in Costa Rica, that's the connection that they find. Uh, you're poor, so you pull together and you, you sort of share and take care of each other, and that actually helps your quality of life, which is quite opposite to being very wealthy and having the money to, to whatever it is. Uh, to consume a lot care. of uh, unhealthy food, yeah. <laughs> well, yes. <laughs> no, no, we all know eating healthy is very expensive mm. now in the West. Uh, so check it out in Nature. I thought it was a pretty good article, and I decided to bring it. Now it's time for some serious news, Tim. This, are you ready? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. We're, we're, Den- we're getting Dennis, to the gossip part now. Too. What? <laughs> That's what? the gossip part of news yeah, of the world. Yeah, this is the gossip part. But I saw this, and I think it's so fascinating. I would love to, to sort of travel of behind You're these guys. You're magazine of the audio world. I am. So I'm making this. I, you must explain this to me. Dennis Rodman... <laughs> yes, this? who I think made News of the World a, a few months ago. Did we talk he, about this before? Well, Dennis Rodman went to North Korea. Now, this story made the rounds on the internet if it didn't make it to News of the World. And he he hung out with Kim Jong-un. And they went to a basketball game, and it turns out Lil' Kim loves basketball and likes Dennis Rodman, of course. And when he came back, it made a lot of headlines uh, because... As soon as he was interviewed, you know, he said he really liked Kim Jong-un. He called him a cool kid, uh, a cool 
leader who likes basketball and is kind of fun, but he's trying to figure it out. He really speak, spoke very nicely of him. And then, of course, all the journalists asked him, well, what about, did you ask him about his policy towards the rest of the world? And did you ask him about political prisoners? And Dennis Rodman, who is not a very smart man, I mean, he's just not, but he, he said, uh, nope, I didn't talk about any of that. I don't do politics. <laughs> uh, and, and this was immediately, well, just before the, this, because uh, we forget it happens so often, but there was major threats from North Korea about, uh, not only testing, I think they were talking about launching. Yeah, yeah. Uh, As actually, we report, just looked it up. We, we actually reported on this in News of the World 46 uh, under the headline, yeah. North Korea says it will strike U.S. preemptively. <laughs> so we send <laughs> Dennis Rodman. In that chapter, you also, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but isn't it amazing? Because how long was that? How long ago was that? A few months, right? Yeah, maybe he's dribbling now with uh, Kim Jong-un over the yeah. future path, political path of North Korea. But what's amazing is at that time, uh, some people in the world, including the U.S. government, who has to some, to some extent take this stuff seriously, uh, w people were worried. Like, oh no, North Korea, Jong-un, he's really going to do it. And he didn't. Uh, but at the time, it's so stressful, or at least somewhat stressful. And here we are, no one's thinking about North Korea again, and Dennis Rodman is going back. And again, they're asking him, you know, are you going to ask about this missionary who's in jail? And Dennis Rodman says, uh, no, maybe we're going to talk about starting a basketball league or something like <laughs> that. Um, but I don't think that this is completely rubbish It's interesting, you know, I, I'm always interested in the, the human behind these leadership roles, be they dictators or presidents. And in a way, like Dennis Rodman is one of the few people that gets to see a little bit of the human, even if it's not, you know, his full who he is. I'm sure it's the nice, you know, the host, Kim Jong-un, the host. Um, but still, he, he gets to hang out and listen to and look at. It's a, it's a rare thing, and it could be useful. Maybe next time King Jong-un is going to you know, make a threat to the world, he'll think, ah, but I don't want to hurt my friend Dennis Rodman, and uh, so I won't launch these missiles, or I won't pretend to launch these missiles. Um, I can't wait. You know, I'm not saying that he's the key to world peace, yeah. but, but I think he plays a role, in a really strange, unlikely role. I, I can't wait for Team America, too. <laughs> yes, well, that's, yeah. <laughs> Featuring I think it's Dennis time. Rodman. Yeah. <laughs> I think most of the leaders too have been replaced in Team America, so now you can do the second round with fresh faces. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. Stay tuned for that. Yeah, maybe, may, maybe even Hans Blix is going to make a, a <laughs> second appearance, although he died in the first part. You know. Uh, that's right. <laughs> It'll bring him back. It's right. Hans. 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 All right, we'll have, uh, we'll have any updates from Dennis Rodman when he returns from North Korea. Or maybe he already returned, I don't know. Yeah, we, we will keep track of what the score is after that game. Yes. <laughs> All right, and so lastly, since I used them in the article about um, renewable energy in Germany, I thought I would mention Clean Technica. Now, I am not a longtime reader of Clean Technica. Uh, hopefully, it's not a cult or some evil empire of some kind. I looked it up. I looked around. They're mostly uh, journalists and uh, different kinds of activists for renewable and clean technology, and they happen to write on this blog. They also write for a lot of other places. Uh, for most people, it seems to be a second sort of 
place for publishing. But it's an interesting source when it comes to a lot on transportation, of course, alternative energy, cars that are coming out in terms of hybrids and, and electric cars, but also in terms of power and what different countries are doing. Uh, it's a good one. There are a few of these types of websites, and if I haven't featured any yet, we'll let this be the first, and then we'll have others. It's this whole very important at this point uh, area of uh, alternative energy, clean technology. Yes, sometimes uh, uh, about companies and what they're doing in the world of sustainability. And uh, you know, we all know that's quite important these days. So that's one source that you can count on, I think, for, uh, for this type of information. And uh, it's sort of blog style uh, with a staff of about six to eight people. Funding-wise, uh, it seems to be similar to a lot of websites slash blogs um, hoping for advertisement or hoping for some kind of consulting work as, as clean tech advisors. Um, so that's, as far as I can tell, that's how it's funded. They don't really talk too much about it on the website. Um, and, uh, yeah, we'll add that link to the news sources list. I will yes. Mark. And I think this brings us to the end of the show, right? Yes, it does. Yes, it does. Um, I expect next week we'll probably be back with another news of the world, right? I'll, I'll be in Amsterdam. You'll be back then. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, depending on what happens, my, my grandfather is uh, not well and the days are numbered, I think, but it's really, it's hard to tell. We'll see. All the best yes. to, to him and your family and uh, Thank you. talk to you next week. Okay. Goodbye. Goodbye.